Well, good morning, everyone. It's so great to be here with uh, the Simi Church. Uh, my name is Ron Quint. Usually, I'm uh, worshiping in the San Fernando Valley, but uh, today, uh, the Lord has blessed Renee and I to be able to be here with you. Love the announcements, especially the 12 hours of mayhem. If you were going to have that, where else would you have it but at the Spaccarelli's home? I'm sure, I'm sure it's, it's more than 12 hours, especially wherever Mayan might be located, of mayhem. But that's awesome. And, and good to see all of uh, the great things that God's doing here. Uh, yes, yeah, so Joe has fled the country. We're not exactly sure why. We heard he might be having secret meetings with the Pope. I don't know if that's accurate, but uh, we, uh, we love Joe and Lynette, our friendship with them, and how much they, they mean to all the churches in our area, the Shoreline Church, Simi Church. They uh, have been for so many years, prior to coming out with the Simi Church, they were really absolutely the glue that held the Valley Church together because of all of their serving and giving and many, many years investing in relationships there. So we have missed them. And those of you that were one time with the Valley Church that ventured out here with the church planning, there was a time where we, we forbid you to go because we weren't sure how, how we were going to survive without you. And yet we have made it and others have risen up uh, to the uh, roles of serving that so many of you did and very excited about what God is doing here among you, and uh, there was a time if you lived in Simi, you either had to travel to Camarillo, at least with our fellowship to worship, or to the valley, and for you to have a presence here in Jesus' name on a Sunday morning, driving here, coming in through all the green hills, which was spectacular, and coming down First Avenue, and just, just thinking about you guys and your faithfulness, uh, vision, dream come true uh, to be uh, building the Lord's church here. Really, really proud of you in Jesus and excited for what, what God's uh, doing here and will continue to do. So in this, the valley, we've had this series uh, called Love Like Jesus. And of course, that's pretty much everything about Jesus, right, is the loving. But we, we decided to focus on it. And uh, so we talked, uh, first of all, uh, we and the, the, the team of preachers that we have, uh, they're uh, forgiving, first of all, because that was absolutely what Jesus did. I mean, from the cross, Father, forgive them. And so many things in his life were about forgiving. So when we love like Jesus, we're going to be forgiving. And isn't it great that all the people in our life give us so many opportunities to practice being like Jesus and loving them by, by forgiving them? We're, we're so grateful to all of them for that. And then... Um, we also talked uh, about the tough love of Jesus because sometimes he said some of the most challenging things like uh, the rich young man that he encountered and it says he looked at him and he loved him and then he said something that the guy walked away sad from. That not all encounters with Jesus were warm, happy, uh, sunshine and rainbows and birds singing moments. Sometimes he said really tough things as he did to that young man, and he, he walked away sad. And then last week, Cesar Lopez, he, he reminded us that it was said of Jesus that the Son of Man came, and, and we were to fill in the blank, well, to seek and save the lost. That was something. And the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. 
but he reminded us that it was also said of him, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. <laughs> and that if we love like Jesus, we're going we're gonna to eat and drink like Jesus. So much so that some people accused him of being a drunkard and a glutton. Now, no doubt he never got to that point, but he had such a good time with people, and people that were with Jesus felt so loved by him in his presence, having meals together, that if we're going to love like Jesus, we're going to learn that fine art of hanging out with people and, and just being sharing our lives and being able to have great talks around great meals. And, uh, you know, it was said of Jesus, after he performed the feeding of the thousands, it said everybody ate, and was satisfied. So you know that having a meal with Jesus would have been a most satisfying experience, not only from, from just the fellowship, but also the, the, the food that was, that was being eaten with him. So, so that's loving like Jesus. But today we're going to pick up uh, another, another topic that we had, and that was uh, serving like Jesus. Because uh, our Lord, when, when he loved something that he did frequently and in so many ways and to so many people is, is he served them. So we're going to read through a passage, an important passage in the life of Jesus that describes uh, an actual event and the actual serving that he did. But beyond that, it, it really gives us the heart of Jesus throughout his life and, and what would be something that, that we would have if uh, in, in our own hearts, if we're going to um, love like him. Let's pray before we read the word of God. Lord, thanks for this moment uh, to just be together. And what a, what a wonderful time it is, so priceless, so precious to be able to be together and to worship you and be with people that love you uh, like we do and that are seeking you and wanting to know you like we are, and to be in that presence, your presence and each other's presence for that purpose. Bless this time and open up your word to us and speak to us through your spirit. Make this time count, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to read through the passage, and uh, I'm sure that if you, if you get nothing from the words that I say, you're going to get something really great from uh, the, the words of Jesus here. Uh, so it was, this is in John 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Let's pause there for a moment. I promise you, we're just going to read through it, but let's pause at that. The Passover festival was founded uh, way back in the time of Moses, way back in Egypt, before they crossed the Red Sea and before they set up the nation of, of Israel in, in Egypt. And they sacrificed the lamb, they took the knife and they slit its throat, and the blood poured out. They would eat the lamb, but, but then they would take the blood from it and they would, they would put it all over the top and the sides of their doorposts. And they would be inside, and the destroying angel that was sent to bring judgment on the Egyptians for so harshly treating and imprisoning and enslaving the people of God, that in their time of being set free, the, the destroying angel would come over them, uh, but he would pass over the homes of those whom had the blood smeared on the, on the doorposts. And Jesus, that was foreshadowing and looking forward to Jesus, who was going to be the 
long awaited for, desire of the ages awaited for Passover lamb, and it would actually be his blood. He would be the lamb, and it would be his blood that would be shed, and his blood that in effect would be uh, put over all of our lives. So that we who, even more than any of the Egyptians, could have been worthy of the judgment of God, we're going to be passed over from the judgment of God and receive only the mercy and grace of God. Jesus knew that, and it was right before that moment in time where he was going to go and he was going to be that Passover lamb and he was going to pay that awful price right at that beginning moment. This is the, this is the threshold. This is the entry point of John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 that leads up to the time of the cross. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you're clean. No, not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things... You'll be blessed if you do them. So there you have it. The moment that Jesus was going to kick it into high gear, his march to the cross. The act, the greatest act of love of God towards mankind was going to happen on the cross. And the greatest words ever said, Father, forgive them. And it is finished, meaning our atonement has been paid for. Everything that could ever be and ever have been done for our salvation was done there at that time. And as Jesus comes up to the threshold of that time, and by the way, John records it in detail, the, the poignant, intimate interaction 
with Jesus and then his prayer to the Father. As Jesus enters into that, showing this full extent of his love to them, it centers around, get this, human feet of all things. (laughs) Of all of the things to have center stage, of all of the things to have as a focus uh, at the very moment of God's greatest act of love is human feet. What is going on here? That's what we're going to talk about that we see in this passage. But, but, but here's, first of all, a, a, a really a striking comment that's made, and that is that the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. This was no doubt holy ground. All right, the, the time around Jesus actually observing the Passover and instituting the communion, which we just partake, partook of together. This is holy ground. And yet in this most sacred time is still the presence of evil. It's right there. Never, ever far, we know even from when Jesus was tempted, the devil left him, having been beaten by Jesus, but just for another opportune time. About Jesus and about his presence and with him in this most holy time was still the presence of evil. Therefore, know about us. Even in your best moment. I mean, when you're just shining through when you somehow have been able to carefully collect whatever pieces of righteousness and holiness God might have put into you, and there you are, and it's all there, even at your best moment. Your worst is just lurking in the shadows. And, and when, when you're at, at with people, that are all lined up. I mean, you're all in step with the Spirit and and you're collectively communing with the will of God. Even at that moment, know that the very opposite of the will of God is just right there, waiting to find some entrance in. And at our time when we're being the most creative and the most helpful and the most constructive and the most purposeful, in the name of God, know that at any, just right next, in almost the next hair's breath, could be some of the most destructive, most harmful things right next to us. And that was going on in the presence of the Lord. Now the word prompted is one word that translates an entire phrase in Greek. Baloesho kardia. You'll recognize Cardia heart. It, it's, it's a phrase that describes the cast into the heart. The, the casting is the same word that the fishermen used to put their nets out of the boats. It could also and was translated to throw, to toss. There we go. To throw, to toss, to place. So what's Satan doing here? I get the picture. You can, you can formulate your own picture. But, but given the language that the Holy Spirit chose to put into our text, that it's almost like he doesn't know what's going to stick. He's just throwing something out there. He's got his purpose in mind. 
He's got his ill will and evil intent, but he doesn't know where he might find purchase, where he might find a place that it might connect with. He's just, he's just putting it out there, throwing it, tossing it. He doesn't even have to get necessarily very close, just striking distance. And he found among them, and in this most precious time, he found a, he found a spot. And it stuck with him. Whatever it was he wanted to put in found its home in the heart of Judas. So, at any given moment, you and I would do well to ask this question. What is in my heart and who put it there? Now, having, having the wherewithal to even ask the question uh, escapes me most of the time. I mean, I'm well into my activity before I even had the presence to ask, how did I get here? There was something in my heart that gave me the impetus to get there, right? But wouldn't it be great if we could have the, the time to, to actually step back and look at our heart, asking the question, what's in my heart? And have the discernment to be able to differentiate what's of God and what's not. There's a lot of deep spiritual work implied in that to be able to stop, look, listen, and tune into what's in my heart and who put it there. Sometimes the greatest victory, even when we're, we're, already, we're already in full swing with saying it, having the conversation, or writing it and sending it or doing it or whatever, maybe it's a little bit too late, but even to just to be able to, to have said to ourselves, that came from my heart, can't blame anybody else. I'm not a victim here. There's nobody else I can excuse. That came from my heart, and it was not of God. Even that could be a victory because it could set us up for the next time. Okay, so, so that's all we're going to talk about, the evil, because the rest we're going to zero in on Jesus. But it's just good for us to remember that that was, that was part of the story as well. In the text, it says this a couple times, what Jesus knew. Jesus knew, he knew, he knew. And, and so everything that, that he ends up doing comes from what we're told Jesus knew. He knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. He, he knew the hour. I mean, he, he, he was dialed into where he knew the precise moment that that, th that had come from, from the beginning of the creation of the world and the fall of man in the garden all the way through and all of the foretelling of the prophets, he knew the moment that had, had come. He knew what time it was in his life. He knew the hour. And that's something that, that again, in, in addition to, to looking into our own heart and seeing what's there, is also to, to look around us and to see what time is it in our life. Because we go through seasons in our life. And they're not always the same. They're different. Both in, in terms of even the year, but, but also in terms of our lifespan. We have times set for us. And Ecclesiastes tells us that there is a time for everything. But not all at once. There's, there's a time for things and then it's not time for that. And now it's time for this and now it's not time for that. And, and to, to be able to know what is the hour 
What is the moment? What is appropriate at this time? I, Renee is trying to help me to understand what is age-appropriate behavior <laughs> for me at 60. There's things that at 60 aren't, uh, uh, maybe were appropriate when I was 40, right? But not necessarily now, right? Uh, what time is it? What's the hour? And, and are, are we, we tuned in? Moses, you know, he prayed, teach us to, to number our, our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, all right? So, so Jesus knew the hour, but he also knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew the hour and he knew his power. And, and for Jesus, it was all things. Everything in heaven and earth, all authority had been put under his power. And he knew that. And he got that. And it is remarkable, with all of that power and all of that presence, he's going to wash human feet. But, but although he, he had everything, you and I, we're something significantly short of everything has been put under our power. Not everything has been put. We might have liked it. We couldn't have handled it, but not everything. But do we know what has been put under our power? Because the Lord has given us a lot. He has entrusted a lot to us. We are, we are stewards of his resources, of his possessions. Everything we have is his. But, but he has entrusted some of it to us. And do we know that? One of the saddest things in life is when we don't realize what we've been entrusted, when we don't realize till it's too late, till it's gone, oh man, if I only would have known how important that time was, and if I had only had made, been more awake and, and more tuned in and acted more meaningfully in that window that I had because it was there and now the window's closed. So to, to know the, the time and the, the, what's been entrusted to us, and not to look at what's been entrusted to somebody else and covet that or be jealous or envious of that, but to, to look at what has been put under our power, what God has been given to us. And, and a, a person that doesn't get that and is looking at other people is a very unhappy, miserable, discontented person. But I'll tell you this, it doesn't actually matter how much has been given. You show me a person who gets what they have, and has a heart and a mind to make the most with what they have. And that is a happy person. Remarkably so. And other people who have more than that person would look at them and say, why are they so happy? How come they're so joyful? Because they haven't yet learned that secret that Paul talked about, the secret of contentment. That, hey, this is what I have, I'm going to accept my lot, and I'm going to run with what God has given me. So he knew for Jesus, all things, for us, do we know our power and what God has given to us. And that is the other thing he knew, that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus, this was a, a, to a precise schedule, and he had certain things that he was going to accomplish while he was here in the flesh, and then he was going to enter back into eternity and out of this realm. But while he was here, he, he knew every step he took where he'd come from and where he was going. Again, what a great example for us. Because we will return to God and we will give an account for every action, for every word spoken, and for everything we did with what he gave to us. We all have come from God and we are returning to God and there when we return to him, there will be a day of reckoning. 
Now, the good news is that in Jesus, it's going to be okay for us. We're going to be okay. Whatever, whatever successes and failures, we are going to be so blessed and so taken care of in the moment, in the day of reckoning. But it doesn't change the fact that there's still going to be the reporting in. And there's evidently going to be levels of joy and levels of blessing in that, from that moment, still saved, still glorious, but, but, but in that accounting of what we did with what we had. Coming from, returning to, and realizing that. Okay, so these are the things Jesus knew. And it was because he knew these things that then he did what he did. So now we'll look at what he did. Remarkable. I mean, this is it. He got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin. He began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You read these words, and I mean, they just strike me as they were just so deliberate. There was nothing haphazard or, or random or mindless about this. And I'll bet if, if you were there, it looked like art. It was probably, his movements were probably just so poetic in the way he went. But it was just about feet, but the way he did it. And, and, and the Lord, if, if, if the Lord was washing your feet, it was going to be the best foot washing you've probably ever had in your life. It was going to be done excellently. It was just serving, but he did it just so excellently. You, you get that, that sense. 